0: Hi, everybody, welcome to our third episode of the Faculty Learning Exchange or FlexCast. Today, we're trying something different because of our physical distancing and and doing some recording over Zoom. So hopefully the audio is okay, um, but we are excited to get together um, virtually and talk about some things um, that we think are gonna be relevant to everybody, trying to work from home and, and leading a team from home and just trying to stay connected. So as always, I have um, Amber Rice from Emergency Medicine here, and Mari Ricker from Family and Community Medicine here. And our special guest today is Dr. Victoria Mazies. Dr. Mazies is the Executive Director for the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine and the um, Chief for the Division of Integrative Medicine. We're very grateful for you, uh, to have you join us, Victoria. Thanks so much for inviting me. So today we thought we'd talk about um, an article actually that um, Victoria found and had sent around from the Global Wellness Institute, talking about leading in this unprecedented moment and strategies that leaders can demonstrate for their team um, and for themselves to kind of maintain well-being um, and uh, just trying Thinking of ways to to be a leader during these sort of very crazy times. So we'll have the link to the article in the show notes. But we thought we'd just go through some some of the strategies strategies they talk about and any stories that um, or um, things that we've been going through, um, and things that have worked and not worked for us. So um, Victoria, do you want to start us off and 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 talk about how this article? Uh, kind of resonated with you and and strategies that you've
1: been doing in your leadership role? Sure. So uh, there are eight different points that are recommended, and I'm guessing that during this conversation, we'll talk about at least a few of the different points. But um, the first is to lead with facts and not fear, and uh, that 's easy to say, uh, but of course, given the fact that we don 't know enough, we don 't know um, how many people have this virus we don 't know exactly how contagious it is we don 't know uh, who 's immune or how long immunity lasts uh, it 's not so easy to lead with the facts and uh, yet um, the the opposite of that is rumors. The opposite of that is that uh, people um, you know um, basically make up stuff. So in a leadership position, I think it's really important to communicate, including the things that we don't know. Uh, In integrative medicine, we had, I think, some unique opportunities because uh, integrative medicine focuses on healthy lifestyle. And one of the things that appears to be true is that people who are healthier, who don't have comorbid conditions, are likely to do better Um, and so what could we share from an integrative medicine perspective and our center quite rapidly put together a uh, two to three page document with references on these are the sleep stress management nutrition and dietary supplement things that based on other viruses based on prior coronaviruses we believe could be helpful. We quickly turned that informal document uh, into a rapidly published article we're able to share that with our graduates and also uh, through the university of arizona global community on a a webinar that was attended by over a thousand people and we put up a frequently asked question site on our web page and created a COVID 19 page and so on so i think that um while there's a lot we we still don't know offering the facts as we understand them, and also um, tapping into the wisdom of your particular field, whether it's uh, public health, uh, whether it's internal medicine, whether it's emergency medicine, family medicine, what is it that we can do to reduce the likelihood of this virus spreading any further and to help people do as well as possible?
2: you know i um this is mari i was just um about those different points and um you know number 7 which is where else can we serve at really um in uh full disclosure i work with victoria and she's a, a leader for me but i i've been really um impressed by um how how you've guided us through that Um, where else can we serve um, to stretch beyond what we're used to doing and seeing where else we can help and I think that um, that struck me as one of the really important points of this article
1: and I think it's a question that everybody can ask I mean I have a friend who's now retired she used to be in in health education and she's making masks because she knows how to sew and she felt really called but she's over 65 and she has some uh, comorbid conditions and doesn't feel like she can step into the healthcare world, she'd probably be told to stay home. Uh, So she's asked that very same question. Um, Our center, which has been very focused on training health professionals, we felt we had a really urgent role to be more available to the public. And so in addition to the article that we published, we wrote um, up a page for the public in lay language. We took an app that is about well-being. Uh, it's called My Wellness Coach, and we were prepared to sell it on the App Store, and we decided, no, we're going to make it available to anyone who needs it for free. Uh, we made a lot of our courses for free. We asked some of our uh, faculty to film from their home, short podcasts. Some of them are medical information, but some of them are had to exercise at home, done by one of our staff members. So I think this question of how can I serve is a question that hopefully all of us can find an answer to, even if the answer is I'm calling every loved one I can think of who is feeling isolated is sheltering alone or sheltering with someone they don't get along with, and I'm gonna be part of their support system at this time.
3: Yeah, this is Amber, and I, as I read through the article, um, I think what sort of struck me was when I got towards the end of it, and um, it starts to talk about plans for recovery. um, And we sort of reached this point, I think for a lot of us where it's very high stress, we've been moving a 1000 miles a minute, there's information coming at you so fast. And you have, it feels like we've been in like a dead out sprint for a month. And now it's starting to reach the point where we're all starting to realize that this isn't a sprint, this is going to be a marathon. And now how do we shift our focus from, from not only just recovery, but moving from being in sprint, you know, disaster mode to how are we going to move forward for the rest of this marathon? How do we um, look down the road and start to be thoughtful and not just reactive about stuff, but be thoughtful about planning out how we're going to move our teams forward? And, um, you know, we've sort of, we know this is temporary. We know that it's not going to last forever, um, but we don't know how long this is going to go on like this. And we have to start to be, you know, a little bit more thoughtful about our our jobs and our our families and the things that we're doing every day that have just sort of i mean for me have sort of crumbled because we're just in this disaster mode and now i have to start figuring out how i'm going to plan for school next year for my child and you know what work is going to look like next month and that sort of thing so for me it was when i got towards the end i started to realize that this isn't you know we can't treat this like a sprint anymore we're going to have to figure out how to move forward um, in a way that's a little bit healthier than maybe what we've been doing.
1: You know, Amber, I'm really glad you brought that up on a lot of levels. Um, I, I think the points you made are so important. Um, people do train very differently for a marathon and for a sprint, and I completely agree, this is a marathon. Um, I, I think that there's um, so many directions we could take this, but I wanna take it in two. One is um, at our center, um, You know, we are focused on integrative medicine, which you all know is not the status quo in medicine. And so we are in the midst of a conversation about given the obvious flaws in our healthcare system, how could we bring integrative medicine in a larger way into the future? We focus so much on lifestyle, we teach people. Uh, Motivational interviewing, which is a communication style that helps people find their own innate motivation to make change. Um, We have a lot of ideas about how people can be healthier and about prevention. So we're really thinking about as we get back into a more normal way of living, what can we take from this? I know a lot of integrative medicine doctors are excited about telemedicine. um, And I hope that in the future, telemedicine is part of the mix of our healthcare systems, because we've all learned that a lot can be done without bringing people to a bricks and mortar building. And while I know it's not quite as efficient as we want it to be in a place that didn't already have a setup. Uh, the graduates I've talked to who were doing telemedicine before say this is really hasn't been too challenging because they're just doing more of it and they already had the systems in place. But the other direction I want to take this is that I know um, Ali and Mari, you both care really deeply about physician um, and health professional well being. And um, we are all aware that before the coronavirus, there was an insane amount of burnout and in the face of this pandemic and this crisis people have responded to that deep calling that brought us into medicine and healthcare to begin with and we've you know come forward to serve look at all the people who were retired in New York and New Jersey who've had their licenses reinstated so that they can serve this is a deep calling and yet on the other side now we're going to have people who were burned out to begin with and now in some cases have you know gone through some horrific months of uh extreme the extremes of healthcare of taking care of lots of people who are extremely ill and many who die and some who die alone and without the support of their family and so i think on top of burnout we may have ptsd or we may have exhaustion or despair or incredible grief. And I think we have to start preparing for how we're gonna take care of our healthcare providers collectively at the other side. Yeah, I totally agree. Sorry, Marie. Um, I think
0: that's a great point. I think um, when you talk about the components of well-being and somebody who has a meaning in their work and a sense of purpose, I think that that's really been um, amplified during this time. But then um, on the contra- on the contrary, we feel, um, you know, are on our like hierarchy of needs that sometimes our safety is not uh, has been in question, um, whether it be from the infection or now this discussion about job safety, right? I mean, people who are um, they're being furloughed and you know all this other stuff that's happening. I think that there's this sense of insecurity um, and danger that we didn't always feel um, as as healthcare workers, um, and then I think. What you're talking about long-term psychological effects and mental health needs, I think that's going to be a really important area, um, and I know Mari and I have talked about it a little bit about what what needs to be in place for people as you know hopefully this comes to an end and and the issues that people are going to be having um, you know far out from this acute event.
2: Yeah, Victoria, I'm really glad you brought that up. I think um grief is not something we are usually comfortable with talking about in the workplace. Um, you know, we talk about it with our patients are grieving and things like that. But I, I think that this sort of collective loss of the world as we used to know it is going to create a lot of grief and everyone is going to grieve differently. And I think, um, something I've been thinking a lot about is how do we create space for the vulnerability that's going to be necessary to help support people through that grief. And every everyone who works in our College of Medicine, regardless of which department or which area they work with, if they work with patients or anywhere in our college, they're going to be grieving the loss of what their unit or job or function used to look like. And I think we have to figure out a way to name that loss and give people space to feel it on their own terms. And and I think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges for all of us as leaders uh, moving forward.
1: You know, there was a second article that I uh, forwarded to uh, all of you before we began this. Maybe you could put this on the, uh, the podcast page, too. Um, but it was written by Uh, Stanley McChrystal and Chris Fussell and um, one was a former army general and the other a former navy seal and they had some really great points but this is interesting coming from um, people high up in the military their final point was be more compassionate than you think you need to be um, because um, people are alone, stressed, um, feeling isolated. You know, normally we learn by watching one another and we actually gain confidence and um, feel better through all of the informal interactions that we have with our colleagues or uh, our supervisors. And we've lost that um, informal person to person contact. And so I think that um, one, You know, lead with compassion, but to create as many opportunities uh, to connect. Uh, I think that was another point in this article that um, you, know, you really have to create more opportunity. Um, at our center, as an example, uh, I'm sure lots and lots of people are doing this, but we're having three times a week check-in for the directors uh, at 7.45, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And that's because there is no informal way to just run into each other and, and run by something. And we used to do quarterly all-staff Gatherings, and we're doing those every two weeks now, uh, again, because we know that the informal almost can't happen, and so we want to be sure that we make ourselves available and During those uh, two week all staff, one of the topics at each one so far has been coronavirus and sharing again facts, what we know about it, um, and answering people's questions so that uh, we are a resource uh, in that way for the staff.
3: Yeah, i think that one of the things that has that i've noticed in that especially those of us who are in healthcare who are um you know seeing sick patients and you know dealing with patients over the phone and um seeing some of the ways that people are truly suffering um we get stuck in this um comparative mode where we feel like we can't feel sad about you know our kids missing graduation or we can't feel sad about you know, uh, you know, missing out on a family vacation that we wanted to because people are dying. And you have to realize that, I mean, pain is pain. And, you know, not only are people dealing with um, sick patients in their work lives and, and stress in their work lives, but we also have things that we're grieving at home too. And I, I think it's sometimes hard for people to talk about that because they feel some sort of shame or guilt in discussing things that they, they're worried that other people will feel are insignificant compared to the you know, the disaster going on around us. And I think that that becomes hard for people to talk about um, because you feel I don't know, almost guilty in a sense to say, you know, oh, well, I'm really bummed out about not being able to go up to happy hour. And you're like, well, it's okay to be bummed out about that. But I think that's hard yeah. for people to talk. About.
1: I, I think that's a great point. And um, I think that, um, you know, um, there are losses at all sorts of levels. And I, I know, um, when I've thought about the medical students not getting to have, you know, um, their graduation, I know an alternative is being planned, but, you know, I remember sitting on the stage. uh, We had our graduation. I went to UCSF uh, at the opera house in San Francisco, which is just a magnificent building. And I just, and and all of us, uh, all the graduates sat on the stage and all of um, the audience were our family and friends and, you know, our parents and spouses came up to hood us and 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 I think they don 't get to have you know that experience the culmination of so much work um A good friend of mine 's daughter is mourning that she won 't have her college graduation. One of my son 's friends was um, supposed to get married his wedding got canceled. I mean there are a lot of losses and um, um, I think you 're absolutely right you know it 's hard to sort of say i don 't get to graduate when You hear about someone else's grandparent dying, and yet it is a real loss.
2: I think in addition to normalizing grief and normalizing the experience that we're all having, um, also normalizing the new world that we're living in and expectations. And I was on a meeting with my team this week, and... We just kind of stopped in the middle of the meeting and and talked about how um, it's okay to change your expectations of how productive you're going to be working from home, managing, homeschooling, um, managing, taking care of family members, delivering groceries, picking up um, medications for elderly folks in your life, and just readjusting those self-expectations and pacing. setting that example, I think, ourselves as leaders and really verbalizing that to our team so that they aren't continuing to be hard on themselves for not being as productive as they usually are.
3: Yeah, you're right, Mari. I mean, I think perspective obviously is a a function of our, our experiences, and some of our team members may not have as much experience, and I know that, you know, I'm one of the more junior faculty members in our group, and so I don't always have as much experience as some of the other folks. And so for me, my my perspective is obviously a, a little bit different. Um, I might not know how to handle some of the things that people who have been through um, similar situations might know how to handle. And, you know, but it's OK, right? It's OK to feel like I don't know what's going on and that I'm anxious or uncertain about things because, you know, realizing that really nobody knows how to handle this right now is it's reassuring um, to know that I'm, I'm not alone and feeling like it's, you know, I have no idea what's going on from day to day. And that's, you know, it's scary, but like you said, if we can normalize it and understand that everybody's feeling this way, it it helps for sure.
0: Yeah. I think um, what you said, Amber, about past experiences kind of informing how we might react is an important point. There was another resource I found, um, from the George Washington University Center for Faculty Excellence, and it was about leading during a crisis and remotely, and um, there they talked about expecting people's responses to be a little different than maybe their past responses have been, and that you know it's okay to have um, an emotional or even intentional response to the situation that might be different than how you might have responded in the past um, Mm -hmm. or different than you would expect somebody to respond. Um, So I think, you know, these feelings of like guilt, either, um, you know, from not being as productive as you think you should be or um, guilt that you feel like you should be doing more um, in the clinical realm or in a different area. um, I think all of these things, just, you know, reflect that people are going to have different perspectives and responses. I have
2: a question for you all. I think um, one of the things I had trouble with, and I, I, I know this is ironic, but was the uh, number six, which was self-care. Um, and I find this ironic because I value self-care and I lecture about self-care and I about self-care but um, I found myself um, like Amber spoke earlier like I've been running on adrenaline for four weeks now and even though I have been doing my best to get sleep and walk every day and do things to take care of myself um, I have been realizing as we go into our fifth week that I am not um, giving myself space to handle some of the challenges um and i discovered that this morning when i was on my walk and listening to a podcast and i just was overcome with emotion and realized i haven't really processed a lot of the things that have happened in the past four weeks and i i would love to hear from you guys um how you're processing um the challenges so that you can take care of yourself as leaders
3: yeah it was interesting i had just listened to a podcast also this morning from um, Brene Brown has a, a podcast out and she talks a little bit about some of this stuff. And she mentions this idea that empathy is not finite. Um, and that if, you know, if you know, th- feeling like if I take time to care for myself, that I won't have enough empathy um, for other people. Um, but, but when we, but actually when we practice empathy, even if it's just with ourselves, um, then we are able to create more empathy. So um, just thinking about it in, in a way that, You know, taking the time to care for yourself allows you the practice to to be more caring for other people, Um, and so I thought that that struck me because I was having the same thoughts recently about um, feeling guilty about taking time to care for myself because I had all these other things to do.
1: You know, there's a Buddhist saying that I really love. I include it sometimes when I talk about um, self care, and it goes, um, "You should sit in meditation for twenty minutes each." day, unless you're too busy, and then you should sit for an hour. (laughs) And I think there's so much wisdom, which is, you know, when the going gets rough, we actually need to amp up our practices. Mm -hmm. And also, it may require something different from normal. So, um, you know, Mari, you gave a beautiful example, you know, of this stuff welling up, but it probably is that in your life pre-coronavirus you didn't have this level of intensity moment by moment day after day week after week at work and the strategies you used were the strategies that you had discovered worked for you in more regular times and you know now you may need something more um i um Um, I'm definitely um, walking much more than my normal practice. I normally do walk um, every day, but I am taking like four walks a day and walking about six miles a day because that's what's keeping me centered, you know? And, And whenever I have something that ends a little early, I'm like, oh, maybe I can walk for 15 minutes between things. And that helps keep me centered. Now, you know, I have the luxury of working from home so i can do that i realize when people are you know uh, working in um, a hospital or clinic setting that may not be possible for them but maybe there's something else that's possible Uh, or maybe at the end of that day uh, they you know uh, rather than going right home for example you know park somewhere and take a walk before you go home so that you have a little break between what I call the intensity of work and the intensity of home, uh, where everybody perhaps needs something from you immediately. Uh, I think um, making space for others um, and encouraging others um, to find more routes or different routes uh, because, this pandemic may call for different things. I know that um, I always enjoy phone calls with friends, but they're one of my life rafts now because I don't get to see anybody except the two people who are sort of in my sheltering at home plan. And so, being able to be on phone calls and, and some Zoom calls. I, I've stopped the Zoom with family and friends because I'm so tired of looking at screens <laughs> that actually is, is like, okay, another screen, I just don't wanna do that anymore. But the phone calls are just so healing. So finding what's healing for you at this time and making space that it may be different from what was uh, your norm or what was called for at a, a more regular point in your life. Mari, have
3: you come up with anything that you've that you learned? Helpful for you? Because I mean, I struggle with this, and I'm I'm no good at it. But
2: (laughs) well, I think um, I think Victoria is right in that you know the things that we used to use don't always work. I mean, I'm I'm an extrovert, so you know, check on your extrovert friends; they're not okay. (laughs) And uh, I was going, you know, I love you know your children are often your teachers. So I was um, going on a walk with my 11 year old one evening and she saw a little kid through a fence in our neighborhood and she was just drawn to him she's like we have to just run to his house i want to just wave and say hi through the fence and and i said something i said you know i think jenna that's because you're an extrovert you're missing your friends and she said what's an extrovert and i said well it's someone who gets energy from being around others and she's like yep that's me a (laughs) hundred percent and it made me realize how, um, how much that is affecting me. And so I think, uh, you know, part of it's recognizing that that's one of the things that I used to use to really process. um, And now having to, I think, you know, meditate more (laughs) like the meditation example, I need to sort of double down in my um, connection Mm lives, lives and ways, you know, the human connection sort of is everything. And I need to figure out alternative ways to do that and, and put them in place. And so I I haven't figured it out, but I think I have, have to figure that out.
0: I realized that I'm more of an introvert than I thought I was during, um, during all this time being at home. And um, my husband and I were talking that it's It seems like our lifestyles have now become socially acceptable, where we get just stay home. <laughs> and, and <laughs> uh, but I an interesting thing that's come out of this, you know, i'm I am not somebody who's very good at phone calls and and that kind of correspondence. I've never really been very good at that in my life. And um during this, i'm I finding I'm speaking to my family way more than i used to you know i'm we set up weekly calls with my siblings and my parents and we all live in different places and so we talk much more than we used to and i feel like that's something that um, is something good that's come out of this is that we're realizing that we we really do need to communicate more even if it feels like we don't have anything big and monumentous to talk about that just having that connection um, none of us are very good with correspondence i don't know why that is but I think that's something that um, we're going to take away from this is a a practice that we're going to continue.
2: Well, I think that that really goes along with grief as well. I mean, you think, you know, you've got the stages of grief, which are not linear, but at the end sort of meaning is, is the thing that you are left with and figuring out which of those things in our lives bring us the most meaning. It's really distilled and, and highlighted when, everything, every life as you knew it sort of gets turned, turned on end.
0: Yeah. Mari, you sent me um, a link to a talk given by Dr. Amy Locke at the University of Utah, and I'm going to link it to the show notes too. Um, And it's talking about well-being um, for professionals. And I found something she's talked about, which was um, psychological first aid, and kind of a way to check in with yourself. And I thought that the questions that she posed were actually really good. And I'm just going to list them off, and then I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts about this. But the first one is: Are you meeting your own basic needs? So, sort of checking in with your sleep, your nutrition, um, whatever it is that that helps you meet your basic needs. Are are you actually doing that? And are you taking breaks from work, from the stressors that are in your life? And then I thought this one was really important, which are you able to recognize the good? And I think this goes back to sort of um, the practice of you know, gratitude, um, you know three good things that are happening, all this stuff that we, things that we've, tools that we've used in the past to sort of make sure we take time to recognize the good that's happening. And I think during times like this, sometimes it's hard to remember to, to look for that. Um, and then are you staying connected? So going back to our discussion about human connection, but on the contrary, do you know when to disconnect? And I found this really important, especially at the beginning of this whole crisis when I felt like I was just consuming all this information that was out there. And that was feeding into my anxiety, really. And when I stopped doing that so much... I found it was um, sort of a weight lifted, like I I felt like I didn't have to read all this stuff that was coming out about it. And I could disconnect for a little bit. And I think that's really helped my well being. And then the final question she posed was, can you ask for help if you need to? So I don't know, do you guys have any thoughts about any of that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that in terms of the, you know, going along with, you know, staying connected and knowing when to disconnect. I mean, I think that you know, not only are we consuming a lot of medical information right now, but it's also a lot of news and a lot of, um, I don't know, politics and scary stuff. And so for me, that's the that's the thing that I have trouble disconnecting from because I get, um, I don't know, i very interested in it and I feel like I have to know what's going on. And then that feeds into my anxiety too, because then I'm, you know, you have some people who are, you know, more calm, and then you have you know like fear mongering that goes on. And and while I know that not all of that's based in reality, it does sort of amp up your anxiety. So I think you need to, you know, sort of limit what you intake because it's gonna overwhelm you.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. I work with uh, Dr. Andrew Weil, and he's uh, talked about the concept of a news fast. And I'm not suggesting any of us are going to completely go away from the news, but I haven't watched television news in in years. I mean, except for presidential debates and election returns, I pretty much don't watch television news because I feel too manipulated by it. You know, the sensory information gets in and I can't get it out, you know, the visual image or what they've said. And they're saying it, obviously, in the most dramatic way possible to keep us Watching, so I pretty much only read uh, my news uh, that allows me in some ways to uh, decide how much of it I want to read, and you know if it 's really sensational, you know I can move away from it and and pick a um, a source that I think is is more balanced um, but I have much more control of, of how much of it gets into my psyche. Uh, I think the other way i 'm having trouble disconnecting is that um, the bad part for me about working from home is that in some ways it's hard to ever turn it off. You know, when I worked for my office, I'm not saying I never finished up certain things at home. I did, but my work for the most part was taking place in my office. And, you know, now it's like um, so easy to just never stop in some ways. And it always feels like there's something else that's compelling uh, and important important to read, or another email to send, or a little more, more work to do to prepare for that uh, lecture that's going to be on Zoom, or whatever it might be. And, and so, you know, I'm trying to develop better boundaries about that, but I, I really feel like right now that um, is a miss. Mm-hmm. So I think since this is a, a conversation about leadership, um, it is really important to uh, communicate as often as you can. Um, I, people aren't seeing you, uh, they're anxious in a variety of ways, and uh, finding your voice uh, and the way in which you want to communicate. Uh, one thing I've been doing is I've been sending an email almost every day, work days not weekends, Uh, because I actually want people not to work on the weekends if they don't have to. So I don't want to, you know, send a message that then is a mixed message. (laughs) But, um, um, and, you know, I, I try to uh, give updates in those um, daily messages about things that we're doing at the center. I pretty much always include a poem or a quote or something that, um, might lift people's spirits. I put it at the end, people who don't like the poems and quotes can let it go. And I've had lots of people email me thanking me for those emails. And I always respond because that gives me an opportunity to check in with that individual, uh, to see how they're doing, for thank to thank them for showing up, um, to appreciate uh, their role in our center. And so I'm just going to really argue for communicate way, way more than um, you might have before.
0: All right. Well, thank you all for a really great discussion. And just to sort of bring bring it home, we like to end with sort of our three main points for our discussion. So I think the first thing to mention would be human connection. So during this time when we're not really seeing everybody that we would normally see and 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 getting that in-person kind of informal check-ins that Victoria was talking about to really try to over-communicate communicate more than you think you should, or than you normally would. Um, and, and really just work on fostering and promoting connection with people.
3: Yeah. And I think one of the other sort of points we hit on a lot today was talking a little bit about grief and how people are, uh sort of grieving their sense of normalcy grieving the sort of life that they had before and um, knowing how to you know helping to normalize this and uh, realize that it's okay to feel disappointed and um maintaining perspective and um you know making sure that we're not denying our disappointment and that we're you know we're understanding that everybody else is kind of going through something similar to and um, being kind and, and patient with with one another as as we're all trying to get through something very stressful
2: and also that now is just as important to prioritize self-care and recognizing that sleep, exercise, stress management have always been a part of self-care but the world we're living in is different and so the things that you need to care for yourself might look a little bit different and to to try and figure out what those things what those things are so that you can take care of yourself
1: and take care of your teams. I think one of the meta things that we've talked about without labeling it as such is that um, we are role models. You know, we're also experiencing the loss, grief, stress, anxiety, Mm -hmm. um, struggle to be healthy uh, that the people who are on our teams are experiencing. Mm -hmm. And so our job is to, be honest about that at the same time as encouraging people and at the same time as doing our own work on it.
0: Great. Well, thank you all. Victoria, thank you so much for being our guest and spending a little more time on Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't have to
1: do the video part and I'm sitting on my floor. So... (laughs) I'm glad we did it audio, but um, thanks for having me. It was really um, a pleasure to talk with you about this topic, and I think it's a really important topic, so thanks. Yeah, and thank you,
0: Amber and Mari, as always. Thank you.
1: Take good care of yourselves. Stay healthy.
0: Yeah, and we'll talk to you guys next time.